Hey, this is Matt Britt, lead pastor at New Life Church, and you're listening to our podcast. I pray you're encouraged today and filled with hope. I pray you learn more about yourself and your relationship with God. Enjoy the message. Think about explaining a church service uh, to somebody who's never been to church before, okay? Just, just wrap your brain around it just for a second. I'm not even talking about Pentecostal church service, any church service. Think about explaining a church service to someone who's never been there before, okay? You, you're like, yeah, man, we come in, we grab some coffee, and then we spend the first 30 minutes on our feet singing songs about the Lord. Now think about that just for a second. Someone who's never, never been here, they're like, okay, say that again. Okay, so you can come in and get some coffee, and then you can come and sit down if you want, but then they're going to be like, hey, stand with us in worship, and we stand up for 30 minutes and sing songs to the Lord. To who? The Lord. You'll learn about Him. Okay, all right, cool, all right, great. So, what, like, is it like a concert then? Like, does people rush the stage? Well, not always. Not, it doesn't always rush the stage, but there are times when people will come to the stage. But, no, it's not like a, not like a concert feel. Oh, okay, so, so, is, so you just sit there then? Well, no, you don't sit there either. Like, you, you sing the song. How do I know what to sing? They'll be, on the, they'll be on the screen. The team does a great job. They put the words on the screen for you. Most of the time, they're up there right on time. 98.7% of the time, you'll know what the words are. You can sing right along with them. It's, it's great, man. It's wonderful. And what are we doing? We're just singing to the Lord. Oh, okay. How long are we doing that? Half of the service, man. Listen, you're going to come to church today, and half of the service, we're going to stand and sing songs that you don't know, but you get to learn them line by line with everybody else and sing. What if I can't sing? Oh, you don't matter. You just mouth the words. Oh, okay. But then I can sit down at some point. When we get to the life creed, you can sit down. That's, what's the life creed? Like, could you imagine like trying to explain church to someone who's never been? Think about trying to explain worship to someone who's never been. That, that moment, I, so we're just singing songs? No, it's called praise and worship. We're at worship? What is that? Like, are we going to like bow down and chant? Is there like a big statue that comes? No, no. There's a cross? Like, no. We just, we're worshiping the Lord. Why do I see him? Well, that's a lot of people close their eyes so they can see him. How do I know where I'm at if my eyes are closed? Like, it's just question after question of people who are like, is somebody going to touch me? No, nobody's going to touch you. They might bump you. They're going to bump me. I mean, it could happen. I'm just saying, it could happen. In my church growing up, if you sat on the road with, with Tony, Tony was going to run around the church at some point. So it's like, you'll have to make a way for people, you know. Miss Barbie would sit on the front. She would get in the glory, and she'd wave some back on you, you know, a little bit. <laughs> and scream. Like, what? Why are they doing that? Why? Why do we? That guy got really loud. This person said, thank you, Jesus. That wasn't on the screen. What are they doing? <laughs> That was not part of the song. Well, it's just worship. So I, I, I want to give you that context because if you really think about worship, worship is weird, especially corporate worship. Corporate worship is weird. For the, per, for the outsider, for the person who doesn't know, when they walk into the room and if they just had no context for what was going on, it's strange, right? It's bizarre. But somehow they get it. Somehow they connect. And, and I want to pose to you that I think that they connect because while worship may be weird in the context that we do in our church, we have worshipped so long in our lives from the day that we were born that we understand we get it, right? We, we, have, we, have, we have sat in places and allowed our attention to be drawn in, right? 
we have cheered as our team made it across the 32-yard line for a first down. Yeah. Right? And pastors get on to you all the time. I heard y'all screaming on your football team on, on Saturday. I hope you be screaming like that to Jesus. I hope you don't scream like that in church. I'm just going to be honest. I don't need you coming in and be like, first down, yeah, Jesus! And we're like, what? And I'm like, I don't, sorry, it's, they're fanatics. I, Jesus doesn't need fanatics. Come on now, stay with me. Jesus needs worshipers. But there's something about the way that we've lived our life that when we come in here, we're like, I think I know what's going on, even if you don't really know what's going on. So I want to turn your attention to someone who didn't quite get it. Maybe you've asked the question before, what is worship and how should I act or respond and what's appropriate or inappropriate? There's this story in Luke 7, and, and before we get to the story, we need to kind of set up how we got there. At the end of the chapter, we have this holy, intimate moment of worship given directly to the Lord in a crowd of people. Jesus has been going through the town healing people, okay? He raised a widow's son back from the dead. That's a pretty big moment, right? So Jesus is getting a lot of attention right here. News reaches John, and he sends his followers to ask Jesus if he's the Messiah. He's like, hey, John's disciples come over, and they're like, hey, are you the Messiah? Jesus gives them this really cool answer. He says, tell them to go back and report what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. What else do you want, John? Of course I'm the Messiah, right? Like he's, he's telling them, look, there's not just signs and wonders, but there's salvation that's happening here. Jesus is so fired up. After John's followers leave, leave Jesus validates John and his ministry to the crowd. He tells them that John is more, is he a prophet? Yes, and more than a prophet. John is the man who prepared the way for the Messiah who is standing in front of them. The people are amazed and the Pharisees are ticked. That's just how they were. Because they, they were not, they were still very much on the fence, most of them unbelieving that Jesus was the Messiah. And so there's Jesus and he says, I'm the Messiah. John's prepared the way and the Pharisees are like, oh, like they got their hands clenched, like their teeth clenched. They're frustrated that this is happening. So Simon, a Pharisee, invites Jesus to his house for supper. Now, Jesus was no punk, right? Like, he kind of knows what's going on, right? Jesus understands, these guys don't like me, and this guy's invited me to, my ho to his house. So Jesus goes, but he takes his disciples with him. Sometimes disciples were followers of Jesus. Sometimes they were armed guards. I'm just kidding. They were never armed guards. But I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't go by himself just because he's like, what if this is an ambush? Pretty sure he didn't think that either because he's Jesus. He could have took care of it, okay? Simon invites uh, Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus and his followers to the to this house, and so Jesus shows up at the house, and it says he was reclining at the table. I want to show you what that looks like, just so you'll know. Okay, so there was a table, but it was like on the floor. All right, it wasn't like a table like we come to. And they would sit like this, and they would put their feet out beside him like that. Okay, and so that he's reclining at the table, and John's right here on his breast. That's what John says. He's like, I would lay my head on the Lord's breast. He loved me the most. I'm like, okay, John. Um, but so he's sitting there like that. Okay. That's con I need to give you context because we're going to get there. That made my pants fall down and everything. Okay, we're back. So, and we're back. So, the Pharisees have already rejected John and his ministry, and they're pretty skeptical about Jesus. And so Simon's like, hey, let's figure this out over supper. And so he invites him to the house. So we pick up the story in verse 36 of Luke chapter 7. 
One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. This is a big moment, y'all. This is, this is really big. This is... There's like the crucifixion and then probably this moment. This is a really big moment. There's the Samaritan woman, but Jesus was there by himself with the Samaritan woman at the well. This moment is huge because Jesus is in the crowd. And this immoral woman, the scripture just, the, the word for that is just a sinful woman. All right? The New Living Translation is like, no, you need to know. We, we have deduced some stuff about this woman. She was immoral. Okay? We would call her a streetwalker, a woman of the night, uh, partaking of the oldest um, the oldest job in history, something like that. Anyway, I don't know. So, but she, you don't understand. She's a prostitute. So, she, if you didn't, you get it now. So, she, she comes in, and, and not only does she walk in, she walks in and just walks right up to Jesus. I'm going to say this. There's a lot of people that I would like to be in public and people recognize who I was. I think that'd be cool, right? Like, hey, how's it going? Oh, that's, who is that? That's the mayor. Hey, how's it going? Who's that? Oh, that person was in our youth group. I don't know that I want prostitutes knowing who I am, right? That's a bad sign, or you would think so, right? Jesus is reclining at the table, and this woman, this prostitute, walks up, and she immediately gets to Jesus. And the scripture says, right there it says kneeling, but in the original translation it says she stood there and began weeping. And her tears were falling on Jesus' feet. So he's reclining, his feet are kicked out behind him, and she's just standing there weeping. Have you ever had somebody cry on you? Those tears are warm, right? Like you can feel, it's immediate, like you're like something, whoa. Jesus had to know this is taking place. So she's standing there and she's weeping. And she has not addressed anyone in the room. She's brought this alabaster jar of expensive perfume. The scripture wanted us to know that. Probably perfume that she bought from her job, right? From the money that she made from her job. And she's brought this jar of perfume, and it says that she's standing there, and she's weeping, and her tears begin to, to wet Jesus' feet. And then she kneels down, and she takes her hair, and she starts washing his feet with her hair. This is an extremely awkward and intimate moment of worship that's taking place here. And then she takes that perfume and she pours it on his feet and she begins to anoint him with that perfume. And everybody is a little weirded out about what's going on. This is an unbelievable moment that's playing out in front of the guests. Verse 39, it says, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. The Pharisee's not wrong, okay? She's a sinner. <laughs> and in their world, if the unclean touched the clean, it made the clean unclean. That's not Jesus' world. There's already been a story where Jesus touches a leper who was unclean, and then, then the cleanliness of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus, reaches out and, and cleanses the leper, not just one but ten of them that are standing there. So... And Jesus doesn't work that way, but maybe the Pharisee hasn't picked up on that. But he says, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. So we see this, this conflict beginning to rise. Verse 40, it says, Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. 
Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. This is savage Jesus. It's a little, it's a little like cooler savage Jesus, but he's definitely being savage Jesus in this moment. He's setting this trap, and he's, he lays this trap out for Simon the Pharisee, and Simon sees it and just walks right into it. And he's like, which one do you think loved him more? And he's like, oh, I suppose the one for whom the greater debt was canceled. Like, he's just like, you got me. Like, he, knows what's, he knows what's coming next, right? He understands. We need to address the elephant in the room first, though, right? Jesus can read our thoughts. Is anybody else unnerved by that right now, right? It says, then Jesus answered his thoughts. Okay, we, need to ju we just need to talk about that for a second because some of you won't hear anything else in the message. All you'll think is, oh my gosh, Jesus knows my thoughts. Get over it, people. He does. He knows your thoughts and he loves you anyway. What a great God we serve. Amen? That not, not only does he know the things that I've done, he knows the things that I thought about doing. And some of you thought about doing something to people this week that you're like, whoa, that would send me straight to hell. And God knows that. And he allowed you to come in and worship him this morning. Wow. And this immoral woman, we all of a sudden realize that we're not so far off from her. Because maybe she's done things that you haven't done in the room. But maybe you've thought things that would put the things that she's done to shame. Since Jesus knows our thoughts, he answers Simon just right there in the moment. And he says, I got a story for you. He tells that story about the debt of 500 pieces of silver versus 50 pieces of silver. And the Pharisee fills the trap laid for him, and so he says, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. Then Jesus gives a most interesting comparison in verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, he turned to the, so he's laying here, she's feet, wiping it with her hair, she's anointing his feet with perfume, so it says he turns to the woman and he addresses Simon, I'm assuming Simon is somewhere over here, I don't know that for sure. So it says, he turned to the woman and he says to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. I, I left that part out unintentionally, but that, that happened. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she's anointed my feet with rare perfume. These things that Jesus is pointing out are... Not actions done for dignitaries visiting your home. As he says in verse 46, these are common courtesies that the Pharisee failed to do for Jesus. In fact, almost everyone back in those days would have some type of foot washing station or offer to do it for you themselves or a servant would come and do that for you because they walked around on their bare feet and they on dusty roads and so they would come in. It was, it was more even for the house than it was for their feet. They're like, hey, let me clean off your dirty feet before you walk on my floor. But, the, but the, the Pharisee is so engaged in setting a trap for Jesus that he doesn't even offer him common courtesy. He's like, let me just get you at the table and let's hash out what's really going on here. And then this woman interrupts his plan and does all of the things that he should have done. Why didn't the Pharisee do these things? We don't get a direct answer. 
But Jesus goes on to explain it in verse 47. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. <laughs> I love that Jesus is like, let's not pull any punches here. Clearly, you know who this is because you said that about her, Simon. I know who she is because she's one of my children. He says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little sins shows only a little love. Savage Jesus is on the prowl in this passage, y'all. I'm telling you. First he says the trap for Simon, and then he says, this woman does this because she loves me a lot. People who love me only a little bit, Simon wouldn't do these things. And he just lets him kind of figure that out on his own, right? The response of the people to Jesus was in direct proportion to what he has done in their lives. The response of the people to Jesus was in direct proportion for what he's done for their lives. I tried to say that twice, and I messed it up both times. The response of the people to Jesus was in direct proportion to what he's done for their lives. So what have we learned about worship through this story today? Number one, worship is about you and Jesus. Amen? Worship is about you and Jesus. You don't have to have the right things to say or to do. She, she clearly had not been to church because at church they don't stand at Jesus' feet and weep and then wipe it with their hair and then kiss his feet and then pour perfume. That was probably things that she had learned from her other profession, not from coming to church, right? But it was the only way that she knew how to love and kissing was a greeting that people did back in those days. And so it, since it's the only way she knows how to love, it's the way that she loved Jesus. You don't have to have the right things to say or to do when you come into worship. Look, I, I, when I say, hey, worship with us, I'm not going, man, I hope that at least half of the room raises their hands and the other half closes their eyes. Like, I hope that some of them sing out loud. No, hey, you worship however you want to. You let the Lord lead you in worship. As long as it's between you and Jesus, you're not going to mess it up. You're not going to do it wrong. You don't have to know all the right moves to the song. You can raise your hands. You can sit silently. You can shout, sing, rejoice, or stand quietly in reverence as the tears roll down your face. Worship should always be directed at Jesus and draw attention to Jesus, even if it puts you in the spotlight temporarily. Because that's what happens with this woman, right? She... Uh, listen, she didn't want to be singled out in that moment, but she just knew she had to worship Jesus. And so she comes to that moment, and she's worshiping Jesus, and all eyes are on her. Everybody's looking at her, and then Jesus is the one who breaks the tension in the room and says, Hey, Simon, I know what you're thinking. Let me tell you why what she's doing is appropriate worship to me. If you are, if you are focused on Jesus, it doesn't matter the expression of worship that comes out of you. The Lord is the one who will vindicate you, and, and the room will see it too. We'll feel it. Man, that person is, is in the Lord. They are in. I've, I've watched it happen. I've seen people so lost in worship that it didn't, it didn't matter who was in the room. If the room cleared, that person is still standing there worshiping, and they were connected to Jesus in that moment. I went and led first priority when I, when I first got here. I, they asked me to bring my guitar and lead worship. And I'm like, all right. And so I'm singing worship. Man, I got so caught up in a worship song. I opened my eyes. Y'all are the crowd. I was right here. I opened my eyes, and I'm like, okay, all right. And I just kind of slowly turned back around. Like, Sorry, that doesn't norm, I don't normally turn my back on, on the group while we're singing worship. But I was just lost in Jesus, and I'm just singing to the Lord. And nobody in the room goes, that, was weird. that guy's weird, he sings backwards. No, they recognize that you're focused on the Lord and that you're engaged in Him. 
So worship should always be directed at Jesus and draw attention to Jesus, even if it puts you in the spotlight temporarily. Also, the woman didn't need an invitation. She just needed to know where Jesus was, and she began to make her way to Jesus. She didn't need an invitation. Simon invited Jesus and his followers to his house, and she just busted up in there, y'all. That's bold. That's very bold. Let it be said that when someone said he's at Simon the Pharisee's house, she knew where he lived too, so I'm just saying. (laughs) Worship is you getting to Jesus, and some days you walk in this building and the journey may take longer than other days, right? It doesn't matter. Just keep getting to Jesus. Some days you walk in this building and you're not thinking about Jesus. You're thinking about what happened or that person who cut you off on 280 or what happened during the week, and you're not focused on the Lord when you get here. Look, when you get here, I don't care how long it takes. Get to Jesus. It may be the last line of the last song that we sing. Get to Jesus. It might happen during prayer. After that, get to Jesus. It might happen during the life creed. Get to Jesus. It might happen during the sermon. Get to Jesus. It might take you all the way through the end of service at the altar call. Get to Jesus. Ethan might be standing up here closing the service thanking you for coming and you say, wait, wait, wait. I've got to get to Jesus. Get to Jesus. Get, that's what worship is. That's what, don't, don't relegate it to the 30 minutes that we give it on a Sunday morning. Get to Jesus. And while we're on the topic, don't just do it on Sunday mornings. Find time during the week where you can get to Jesus. Listen, some of us uh, will get so distracted in our devotion times because we're not, we, we, there's too many things that are in the way for us to get to Jesus. You, you need to find a time that works for you. Some, uh, man, the verse that, that haunted me all through my teenage years, David said, early will I seek you, Lord. And I'm like, quit quoting that verse. I don't like to get up early and seek the Lord. I like to get up early and seek my pillow. That's what I like to say. Early I will seek the coffee. That's what I like to seek early. But the older I get, the more I've also learned that early, David had, a, had this thing that he understood, like early is a chance for me to spend time with the Lord. Now, me and Red have had this conversation. He's like, man, if I get up earlier, then I go to work to seek Jesus. He's like, man, it's like 2.30 in the morning. I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, don't do that. I don't advise that, right? So his, he's got to find a different time to get to Jesus. It doesn't matter. Just, just find a time and get to Jesus. And when you're here, get to Jesus too. Don't let the distractions of the week ride your back to church. Don't let them. Don't let them come in here and keep taunting in your ear. You didn't fight them off all week so that you could get here and they could annoy you and distract you and you leave here with them still annoying you and distracting you and you never got to Jesus. Listen, church is a safe place. Amen? Church is a safe place where you can come and encounter the Lord. We had some just amazing encounters at camp. One of them that was wild to me. Um, well, one, this boy, I placed my hand on him and he hissed. That was wild. We figured that out. Uh, just before that, I, I'd been in the balcony. I was coming down the stairs to pray for people. And there was this girl. I don't know her at all. Young black girl. And she was just just quietly just worshiping the Lord. And I placed my hand on her, and the Lord said something. I don't even remember what he said to say to her, and I said it. And she said, I'm going to turn this. She said, what? She starts wailing, screaming. And I was like, Jesus, is that you? But I, I knew she was getting to Jesus in that moment. The Lord had spoken to her, and she's getting to Jesus. Listen, sometimes you might wail. Sometimes you might be like that, that woman. You just stand there, and the tears just begin to fall. 
Sometimes there may be no emotion connected to it and you're just in the moment with the Lord. It doesn't matter. Just get to Jesus. I spent way too much time on that point, but maybe you need to hear it. If worship is about you and Jesus, then there are only two things required to be present for you to worship. You and Jesus. You know where you are every second of the day. But sometimes we need to spend a few moments worshiping so that we can find ourselves at the feet of Jesus, right? I know where I'm at every second of the day, but sometimes it's going to take me five minutes just to get into a place where I can actually hear and know the Lord and the world has shut off. Get to Jesus. You got a song, you're like, oh, I like that song. Play that song over and over and over again because that's, it's, cre- it's opening a doorway for you to get to Jesus. I'm talking about a worship song. It's opening a doorway for you to get to Jesus. So number one, worship is about you and Jesus. Number two, worship is emotional. There's only three. Worship is emotional. This woman begins crying just standing in Jesus' presence. Will you cry every time you worship? No. Will you kneel down every time you worship? No. Will you shout every time you worship? No. But it's okay to allow those emotions to the surface when you worship. You're standing in front of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is Jesus, and it's okay to be emotional. Amen, church? You'll see it throughout this series, people full of emotions worshiping Jesus. God's not intimidated by your emotion, but even your emotion should be pointing people to Jesus. Another story at camp. There was this kid, and he was standing there during worship, and it was a slow song, like, God, you're so good, right? And he's doing this. So I walk over and put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, hey, buddy. Um, stop that. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going out on a limb here that you're not worshiping and something else. I'm like, hey, man. I was like, hey, stop. And he, goes, he looks at me and he goes, what? And I said, hey, I, that's very distracting. He's down there in like the, the group of kids. And I'm like, everybody, people are looking at you, man. That's distracting. And he's like, oh. So he stops. And then this counselor is mean mugging me. Oh, man, I hope she's not watching. Um, She's mean mugging me, and, uh, and I walk over, and I'm like, hey, what's up? And she goes, that's how he worships. And I was like, he's got you on it, wrapped around his finger. I'm like, oh, really? She's like, that is, she's, he's been doing it all week. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. It's Thursday, and I just got over here. Like, what do you mean he's been doing it all week? And I said, I'm, I said listen, if you need me to explain it to him more afterwards, here's exactly what I said, because I had to go over to him a second time. I said, here's what I told him. When we worship, our focus should be on Jesus. And you're drawing the attention and the focus to you. So if you feel like the best way that you can express worship is with a 10-foot banner flag and you want to come wave it in the back of the sanctuary, I'm going to come over to you and do the same thing. Hey, hey, why don't you put that flag down? Why? Because you just hit four people and three rows up with that flag. We don't have the space for flags. If we have a giant flag ceremony, we're all waving flags. Man, that's awesome. But let's keep the focus and attention on Jesus. Now, if you are worshiping with that flag and I go, my goodness, all I can think about is Jesus, then you got it. I've yet to see it, but you've got it, and I'm excited about it. People used to bring the shofar. I like the shofar, but it'll scare you to death when somebody blows the shofar. Y'all remember the shofar, right? You thought Jesus was coming back right then, right, in worship? I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying, look, if you just feel like you've you got to blow the shofar and usher in the... Pr- okay, but you don't got to blow the shofar every two songs, like, like every, twice every song. Like, 
at some point you're like, hey, look at me and my shofar. Like, <laughs> right? Do you understand what I'm saying? Worship is emotional, but your emotions should still be pointing people to Jesus. Amen? Is everybody with me? We should, we should still be entering into... The, is everybody good with this? We're still entering into the presence of the Lord. This woman was doing very odd things in the presence of the Lord, right? But she was still... Everything was focused on the Lord. The Pharisee was focused on what she was doing. But everybody else is looking at Jesus as he's talking. So one, worship is about you and Jesus. Two, worship is emotional. And number three, worship is a response to what Jesus has done. Jesus shares the story of debt being forgiven, and then he ties it into the response of love towards him. So clearly, worship is a response, right? The one who had been forgiven of the 500 pieces of silver responded differently, stronger than the one who had been forgiven of the 50 pieces of silver. So clearly, worship is about response. The question is not, why should I worship Jesus? The question is, how could I not worship Jesus? Amen? This woman could not keep herself from walking in and worshiping Jesus. She was compelled because of what he would do for her. Maybe the reason we struggle worshiping the Lord some weeks is because we haven't spent time during the week thinking about what he's done for us. If we're honest with ourselves, none of us are the ones who've been forgiven little. None of us have a debt with the Lord that equals 50 pieces of silver. We all have a debt that equals 500, if not more, pieces of silver, right? That's the point that Jesus is trying to get across to the Pharisee in the first place. He's like, what if it was 500 versus 50? What if it's 1,000 versus 100? What if it's a million versus 100,000? It doesn't matter the monetary value that you put on it. Every one of us have a debt load to Jesus that is pretty equal and the same. I was dead in my sin, and Jesus brought me back to life. Amen? I have reason to worship the Lord. How could I not worship Him? How could I not stand in the presence of the Lord and give glory and honor and praise to Him? I'm not asking you to do any certain thing in worship on a Sunday morning. I'm just asking you to worship the Lord. I'm just inviting you to say, Lord, you're worthy because something changes on the inside of us when we begin to worship. Just like with this woman, there's something that takes place as she stands in the presence of the Lord and worships Him. We worship like we're the one who's been forgiven little sometimes. But if we're honest with ourselves, none of us are the one who's been forgiven little. One final thing today. Many of you may be sitting here in the waiting. Waiting on a miracle. Waiting on a response from the Lord. Waiting on God to move in your situation. This is the most beautiful part of the story to me. Verse 48. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Jesus gives the story of forgiveness and says, why does she worship like this? Because she's been forgiven much. And yet she hasn't even walked through that process yet with the Lord. It happens after she pours her worship out on Jesus. Now I'm not trying to mess with your theology today, okay? But I'm telling you this. While this played out in moments at a supper, it can happen in an instant with you in the room today. In that place to where you say, Lord, I, I, I believe that you can do it and you worship him. And instantly God begins to move. Where you say, hey, Lord, I don't know if you're the Messiah, but I, I worship you because I want to believe that you're the Messiah. And the scripture says that when we believe that Jesus is Lord, then we shall be saved. Just like that. 
This woman walks in a sinner, but she walks out a forgiven saint of the Lord. In fact, the, the verse goes on, and Jesus looks at her and says, your, your faith has saved you. Go in peace, is what he tells her. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I don't know what you got going on in your life. I know some days when you walk in, it's harder to worship than others because of the situations in your life. But just like this woman, I think that the Lord calls us in worship and says, Hey, listen, will you worship me anyway? Will you worship God anyway? Before, before the miracle comes through, before God steps in and does the work, will you worship him anyway? Will you, will you step into his presence and say, Okay, God, I'm going to worship you anyway. I'm going to find myself in the presence of the Lord, loving and worshiping you. Because I know that you're worthy, I know that you're able, I know that you can do it.